Well, good morning, church family. You know, I'm not sure about you, uh, but in my house, my wife is obsessed with Facebook Marketplace. How many of you know what Facebook Marketplace is? When I say obsessed with it, I actually mean literally addicted, obsessed with Facebook Marketplace. Facebook Marketplace, for those of you who do not know, it's a platform on Facebook. Go figure, right? That's why it's called Facebook Marketplace. Um, But it's a platform on Facebook where you can go and you can buy and you can sell things. And if you know my wife, my wife has absolutely no issue with selling literally everything. If it sits around or if she finds it or she's tired of looking at it, she will certainly post it on Facebook Marketplace. And most of the time, people actually buy it. She will sell mirrors. She will sell home decor. She will sell hairnets and breath mints from 2009. (laughs) So be careful what you buy from my wife on Facebook Marketplace. I do want you to know that this has only caused a few family feuds. Um, Some of you have had some family feuds of your own because of things that were sold that weren't supposed to be sold. It's only caused a few family feuds of our own. In fact, just before we moved here, um, she and I, we were trying to renovate a part of our house before we put it on the market. So she went with her parents off to Home Depot to get some supplies, and she left me with all of the kids. So my job that night, and you don't leave dads with kids, come on, everybody knows that, right? Um, but that night, um, I was trying to keep the kids entertained. And one way that I thought that this could happen is by going and getting my rocket copters. Who knows what a rocket copter is? All right, as seen on TV, has these things. They're called rocket copters. It's a little device. It has little folded wings. You put it in a slingshot. You shoot it in the air, and it copters itself down. It has lights on it, little LED lights on it. So the kids would love to run around in the backyard and catch those as they're coming down. They shoot really, really high, by the way. All right, so my rocket copters are usually in a drawer, so I go to the drawer, and they're not there. So I started thinking, well, maybe in the move from our previous house, we lost the rocket copters, or we put them in a different drawer, so I start just prowling the house looking for these rocket copters, and then it dawns on me. I have a wife who likes to sell things, anything, on Facebook Marketplace. So I called my wife, and I said, hey, babe. She said, hey. I said, um, have you seen my rocket copters? Well, I don't think so, Trey. <laughs> you, you don't think so, Trey. I mean, do you know where they're at? Have you seen them? No, I don't think I have. <laughs> Kayla, did you sell my rocket copters? Well, well I, I don't know. I could try to help you find them when I get back, but... I, I don't think I did. I, I don't know. And that, given her grace here, because sometimes she really just doesn't know, but she sells everything. <laughs> she can't keep up with what she sold. Um, but at the end of the day, we couldn't find my rocket copters because she sold them on Facebook Marketplace. I'm still a little bitter about that, <laughs> if you can't tell. What that did is it cost me another 10 bucks because I had to go back to Target to buy more rocket copters. That probably got sold because I've probably bought about three sets since then. Uh, So this becomes a pattern in our home. But she literally will sell anything. Here's what we've learned from all of this. When you don't use things, they begin to break down. my case, they get sold. But when you don't use things, they begin to break down. If you do not ride the bike, 
the tires are going to begin to rot. If you do not use the lawnmower, the battery is going to die. If you do not dribble the basketball, the ball is going to lose air and it's going to flatten. If you do not feed the fire, then the fire will eventually go out. See, things break down faster in disuse than in use. Let me say that again. Things break down faster in disuse than in use. Listen, church family, your faith is like this too. Your faith is intended to be used. Your faith is intended to be shared. If we are not exercising our faith by the proclamation of the gospel, if we are not exercising our faith by sharing Jesus with other people, our spiritual fervor and spiritual zeal begins to weaken and break down. And that's exactly what I want to talk to you about today. If we are not feeding the flame of our evangelism in our lives, then that flame is going to go out. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to feed the flame of evangelism in some of our lives. And for others of us, if I might dare to say most of us, I at least just want to start the fire. I'm start the fire of evangelism in our lives. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, we're going to be in the end of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28. This is a popular text of Scripture. Many of you know that it's referred to as the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, we're going to be in verses 18 through 20. As you're making your way here, this is Jesus' final words. These are his last words to his disciples. Before he ascends to the Father and sits at the right hand of God into heaven, he goes to the disciples and this is what he says. So these words that Jesus is giving his disciples in the final days of his life, they're intended to be a gas to an already burning fire and they're intended to remind them of their primary purpose here on this earth. And that is to go and make disciples. So in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, the word of God says this. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This morning, I want to do something extremely simple, okay? Extremely simple. I want to show you two primary things in this text that I believe will help your fire for evangelism get started. If it's already there, it'll help it continue to burn. Two primary things I want you to see in this text. The first one is I want you to see the purpose of man. And then secondly, I want you to see the power and presence of God. So first, we're going to talk about the purpose of man, what do you mean, Trey, when you say the purpose of man? At some point in every life in this room, you've stepped away or stepped back and you've asked yourself this question. What on earth am I here for? What is my purpose in life? What did God put me on earth to do? What is my unique contribution here on planet earth? 
If you've asked yourself that question, maybe you've come in here this morning asking yourself that question. The good news for you is this. God is going to lay that out for you today in Matthew chapter 28. He says this in verse 18. It says, Jesus came and said to them, these are the disciples, his parting words, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Now watch verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, that is to obey, all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Church family, your purpose on this terrestrial ball, your purpose here on this earth as a child of God, if you have placed your faith and your trust in King Jesus, if you are a son and a daughter of God, your purpose here is to participate, not to spectate, but to participate in fulfilling the mission of God. Now that sounds really simple. And for a lot of us, we make it a lot more complex than it needs to be. I am convinced that God cares a little less about where you make disciples, and he cares more about wherever you go that you're making disciples. So if you're at work, you make disciples there. If you're at the ballpark, you're making disciples there. If you're in the community at an event, you're making disciples there. If you're in your own home, you're making disciples there. Wherever you go, I'm convinced that the Lord's command on your life, the purpose of your life, is that you are making disciples, that you are participating in fulfilling the mission of God. And if you are a child of God and you are not a participant in fulfilling the mission of God, you are defeating the sole purpose of your existence. So if we're going to fulfill the mission of God, we got to actually know what the mission of God is. This is not going to be found in a theology like textbook. This is going to be a very like surfaced level definition of the mission of God for you. But if I could define it, it would be like this. The mission of God is to restore a fallen and broken people back to himself. It's on your screen for you. The mission of God is to restore a fallen and broken people back to to himself. That's the mission of God. See, the Bible teaches us that you and I were created by God in perfect harmony with God. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, we were created, we were spoken into existence, right? And when we came into existence, we came in perfect harmony with God. But in Genesis chapter 3, the Bible tells us that humanity chose to rebel against the God who created them. Because Adam and Eve chose to rebel, you and I who are born from the lineage of Adam and Eve have inherited their sin nature. So you and I are sinners both by nature because of that, but we're also sinners by choice. We too deliberately rebel against God. So we have this sin that's in our lives. That sin separates us from God for all eternity. And there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to claw our way back to God. There's no good deeds that we can do. We can't give enough to charitable organizations. We can't say enough nice things to people. There's no good thing that we can do in order to claw ourselves back to God. We are helpless. We are hopeless. The only way for us to get back to God is for God to do something about the condition that we have found ourselves in. That's called the mission of God. So what is the mission of God? The mission of God is this. God goes on a mission trip. 
Sure, he didn't board a plane and he didn't board a bus, but he did board the womb of a virgin woman and he came into this being, into this world, through that virgin woman in a little town called Bethlehem. Emmanuel that day, God with us. What does that actually mean? It means this God took on human flesh. He stepped into this world and he lived among us here on this earth. And this Christ, who was everything but like us, because he was perfect and spotless and without sin, he would go to the cross and bear all of our sin there and die in our place so that he could reconcile and restore man back to himself. That's the mission of God. It's the mission of God. So our task is to join in on this mission. What did John say at the end of his gospel in chapter 20, verse 21? John said, or Jesus said, so as the Father has sent me into the world, what does he say? So now I am sending you. Just like God sent Jesus to reconcile man back to God, when Jesus ascended into heaven, he said that same mission is now yours to carry out and to fulfill through me. So that's the mission of God. The question we have to ask ourselves now is this. What is our role in this mission? And what's your role? What's my role in this mission? It's very simple, church family. Our role is to love and obey the king. I told our leaders last night this and I want to share it with you, too, because I think the church has failed us in some ways, and I think this, it's appropriate to say it this way. How many of you grew up in a church that said, you know, God created man, and the reason he did is because he needed fellowship with man? You're created for fellowship. How many of you grew up in churches like that? Hands, a lot. I grew up in a church that said, hey, man, the reason God was created is because he wanted fellowship with man. Listen, that's a lie. God had all the fellowship he needed in himself. He had all the community. He, he is self-sufficient. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He did not create you because he needed your fellowship. He created you because he wanted your glory. He created you because he wanted you to worship him and adore him and esteem him the way that he rightly deserves to be worshipped, adored, and esteemed. So your purpose on earth isn't just to have fellowship with him. Your purpose on earth is to exist in a way that glorifies him, that honors him, and that worships him. Our role is to love and obey the king. In fact, we express our love best when we obey him. Let me say that for the people in the balcony. We express our love best when we obey him. Look at verse 19. Verse 19 says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. You know, in the original language, the Greek, it actually, the words go and therefore flipped. It says, therefore, it's connecting verse 18 to verse 19, okay? We'll get to verse 18 in a moment. But in verse 19, it says, therefore, now go and make disciples. You realize these two words, go and make disciples. They are not options for us to consider. These two words are commands for us to obey. Let me say it this way. The great commission is not merely a suggestion from a friend. The great commission is a royal 
edict from the king. Say that again. The Great Commission is not merely a suggestion from an acquaintance or a friend. The Great Commission is a royal edict from the king. See, that article is the king, like he is the king. And this is a royal edict that he has given us to obey and to follow. Some of us have this idea in our head when it comes to the Great Commission that one day Jesus knew that he was about to ascend back to God. He was going to sit at the right hand of the Father, so he'll summon up his life here on this earth as he knew it. And he goes to his buddies that he hung out with a lot, which are the disciples, and he says, hey guys, just want to say my parting words to y'all. I'm about to leave, about to say, you know, about to, about to dip out the story. I just want to say bye. And they say bye to him. They give each other hugs. Maybe a tear or two falls. I don't know what happens in that room. But then somehow Jesus says to them, you know, what are y'all going to do while I'm gone? They reply, we're just going to hang. We're just going to chill. You know, do what guys do, right? And then Jesus is like, oh, man, that sounds great. Hey, if y'all get bored, y'all should go make disciples. That's absolutely not how it works. That's not how it works. What Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. Listen, if you want your life to count, if you want your life to have any significance at all, if you want your life to have any purpose or any meaning, then go and make disciples. And this isn't a suggestion. This is a command. This is the entire reason you exist. You exist so that you can fill the earth and populate the earth with more worshipers of God. So go and make disciples so that God can get more glory and the earth can be full of more worshipers. That's the reason you exist. And just in case we missed it, this royal edict, it applies to every follower of Jesus. It doesn't apply to just the extrovert. For the introverts, he's like, oh, you stay, you just stay inside. <laughs> you just keep yourself. He didn't, he didn't say, man, it just applies to those who have the gift of evangelism. If you don't have that gift, man, you just keep your mouth shut. He didn't say that. He said, no, if you are a child of God, there should be no greater delight in your heart than to go make that very God known. If you are a follower of Jesus, the greatest thrill in all of your life is to go share the great news of the gospel with people who don't know him. And Jesus is simply saying, this is what we ought to do if we love and obey our king. You and I only have two options in this. We can either acknowledge and obey him as king, or we can try to become king ourselves. And if you read Genesis chapter 3, that's exactly what Adam and Eve tried to do, and it did not work out well for them. And it will not work out well for you. So there's two things that happen when we obey Jesus' command. If that's our sole purpose, if that's our role in fulfilling the mission of God, if our role is to love and obey the king, there's two things that happen when we obey Jesus' command. The first one is this. Our obedience humbles us. Your obedience and my obedience to Jesus as king humbles us. What do I mean by that, Trey? What, what do you mean by that, Trey? This is it. When you humbly obey him, it keeps you in your rightful position. You're the subject. You're the servant. He's the king. When you choose to rebel against him, you're attempting to occupy a place that only belongs to him, and that's the throne. You're trying to become king yourself. So when we love and obey him, when we humbly obey him, it does indeed humble us. The second thing that it does is our obedience is an expression of our love for him. 
This is a way, when we obey him, this is a way that we express our love for him. We see this all through the Gospel of John. John chapter 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. And if you didn't hear it that time, he comes later, in just a few verses later, in verse 21, whoever has, has my commandments and keeps them, it's he that loves me. And if you didn't hear it that time, then he comes back in verse 23, and Jesus answers and says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. See, see church, there's something we must understand, and that is this. Going is not an option. Going is not an option. The Bible here commands us to go. Let me tell you why I think that's important to stress. Let me tell you why. When some of us read the Great Commission, and and guys, anything that I, I say I'm guilty of as well, I've noticed it in my life as well, Anytime we try to fulfill the Great Commission, what we attempt to do is we say, okay, go and make disciples. That means I need to be in discipleship relationships. So I start to look around, and I'm like, hey, you want to enter a discipleship relationship, Tanner? You want to come and start meeting with me for a Bible study every Tuesday? What about you, Kevin? What about you, Ted? What about, you know, you just go through, you pick some men, and you get together, and you start discipling them. Listen, that's half of the commandment. And it's actually not the front half, it's the back half, which is to teach them to observe all of of I've commanded you, like to teach them the word. The front half means that we go and we make disciples, which means that we do see them convert and come into Christianity, and then we start teaching them what it means to follow Christ. Some of us are really, really good at trying to justify our fulfillment of the Great Commission by saying, I'm just going to do the back half. I'm just going to sit down with already Christian people and tell them what the Bible says. And where we fail miserably is we don't build relationships with people who don't know Jesus, who are de-churched or unchurched or have or are far from God, build relationships with them so that we can speak the truth of the gospel in their lives in hopes that they too will come to know Christ, and then we can start teaching them the ways of God. We fulfill the whole commission when we do both. So our role is to love and to obey the king. That's the purpose of man. The second thing I want you to see this morning is not only the purpose of man, but secondly, I want you to see the power and the presence of God. The power and the presence of God. Guys, this is where it gets so good. Listen, the power and the presence of God. Look at verse 18. It says, and Jesus came and said to them, so Jesus is coming to the disciples. Remember, his parting speech, his last words. And this is what he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Do you see what just happened, church family? Jesus is saying, I invest my power and my authority in the work of redemption. That's where my power and that's where my authority are invested into. I channel my power into redemptive work. When we participate in the work of redemption, we bring ourselves under his heavenly authority. Some of you, if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you want to experience the power of God in your life? I bet most of our hands would go up. Man, I want to experience the power of God in my life. Guess where he channels his power through? He channels his power through your going. When you go to make disciples, When you go to tell people about Jesus, Jesus is saying, my power goes with you there. There's nothing and nowhere I'd rather be than right up under the power of a supernatural God. That's the place I want to be. And I hope that's the place you want to be too. So his power rests over you. 
as you go. You do understand that word go if you literally interpreted it the way it's supposed to be from its original language. It really it, it interprets this way. It translates this way. As you go. What Jesus is saying there is he's saying, I don't care where you go, but where you go, make sure you're making disciples. We put a lot of emphasis on the place rather than the people that are in the places. And what God is specifically saying here is as you go to work, make disciples. As you go into that neighborhood and call that your home, look around and make disciples. As you go into that restaurant, make disciples. Wherever you go, make sure you go there with the intent of making disciples. So the power of God is resting over you as you go to make those disciples. But let's be real. Going and making disciples can be a very daunting task. It can be scary. Guys, I'm just going to put my cards on the table. I'm a pastor. The expectation of pastors is that they go share the gospel. But the, the truth of the scripture is this. The expectation of believers is that they go and share the gospel. We are willing to put on our staff the weight that's really should be applied to us. And this isn't something that our staff has to do. We do have to do it, and we are going to do it. But it's something we as a body have to participate in as well. It's a scary thing. And the reason I bring that up is because I want you to know that there's times even for me that I'm, man, my palms get sweaty. My heart starts to beat faster when I feel the Spirit of God saying, you need to share your faith with this person. It's daunting. It's scary. And some of you know exactly what that's like. So as you start thinking through that and praying and processing through that, all these different emotions come to your head. Man, what if I say the wrong thing? What if they ask a question I don't know how to answer? Man, what if they outcast me and they no longer are my friend? What if they think I'm weird? I mean, all these emotions start flowing through our body and our head because it's a scary, daunting task. But guess what? Jesus already has an answer for that. Not only does my power go with you, but he says my presence goes with you too. Look at verse 20. It says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, that is a promise from God to you. As you go and tell your father about the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, just know that the power and the presence of God is going to go with you. As you call your child and to sit them down to share the gospel with them, just know, moms and dads, the power and the presence of God is going to go with you. As you call your best friend and say, hey, I want to take you out for a cup of coffee, knowing that you want to share the gospel with them, just remember that the power and presence of God is going to go with you. It's encouraging to know that reality, to, to embrace that promise. Why? Because that promise gives you the confidence and the courage that you need to take the leap to share your faith. This summer, my family and I went to the lake. And when we were at the lake, we heard of this place called a jumping rock where you could go to this rock. It was a pretty big rock. For an adult, maybe not so, so much, but for a nine-year-old, it was a pretty big rock. We found this rock, and we went to it, and we got on top of it, and we started to jump off of it. I noticed that when my 11-year-old got up there, she went to the edge, and as she got to the edge, she started to check things out. She scanned her environment. Okay, if I don't jump far enough, I'm going to hit this rock. And all these fears of not making it to the water start to creep into her mind. And it causes her to take a step back a little bit, to take a deep breath. 
Well, eventually she mustered up the strength and the courage just to go and jump into the water. But our younger child, Reagan, wasn't as bold, wasn't as courageous. In fact, when she got on top of the rock, it took an act of God to get her there. I mean, literally, it took a miracle. And then she gets up on top of this rock, and she stands as far back away from the edge as possible. And you can tell in her face she wants to go. She just doesn't have the courage to go and do it. She sees all the other adults and kids having fun, and she wants to participate in that. She just can't muster up the strength to make herself do it. So I had climbed the ladder, I got on top of the rock, and I looked at her, and I grabbed her hand. I said, baby, why don't you come with me? And we took a step, and she wanted to stop. And with every step that we took, she got a little bit more confident, and she got a little bit more courage. And eventually, we got all the way to the edge of the rock. And of course, at that point, she was like, no, 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 I want to go back. And she goes back. But here's what I noticed. I went ahead, I jumped off the rock, turned around in the water, and she's creeping back up. She's got the courage now and the confidence now to at least go to the edge. And she started to do that, and then she would go back, and she would keep doing this over and over. And every time she's building up the, the courage, the, the strength to do what she wants to do, she's facing her fears in that very moment. And eventually we got to the edge again, and my sister-in-law, who was up at the top then too, said, all right, come on, and grabbed her hand and just jumped, and they went for it. <laughs> and you know what? She came out of the water frightened to death. Frightened to death for about 10 seconds. And then the first thing out of her mouth was, I want to do it again. <laughs> and she comes to the ladder, and then 30 to 45 minutes later, when it was time to leave, guess, guess who was the ones like, I don't want to leave, I don't want to leave, I want to stay. It was that child. In many cases in our lives as believers, that's the same thing we do. God says, I want you to go share your faith with that friend. I want you to go share your faith with that family member. You need to know that you know that you know that that person has a relationship with Jesus Christ. And you get to the edge and you start to think, you know what, God? If I don't say the right thing, they might reject me. If I don't do the right thing, I might face this. What if this happens or that happens? What if this relationship's divided and ended? And before you know it, you're stepping back and you're just like, no, I'll just, I'll just leave it alone. And God reminds you, I'll go with you. Grabs you by the hand. He says, I'll go with you. I can help you build up the courage. I can help you build up the strength to take this leap. And sometimes you know what we need? We need the Holy Spirit just to push us off the edge. And I think today what we need to be praying in our lives is Holy Spirit of God. In my faith and my evangelism, would you just push me off the edge? Because once I hit that water, I know that sharing my faith and seeing my loved ones baptized, declaring publicly that they are now born again believers in Jesus Christ, I know that that thrill is going to want me to share it again and lead me to share it again and lead me to share it again. And you know what? I'm never going to want to stop because I love what God is doing in and through this moment. Church family, two things we're going to have to do. We've got to trust. We've got to trust that God has the power to save. And we've got to obey the command of going and making disciples. I want to end you with one little quote. That is this. The kingdom of God is going to be built by our obedience in going. If the kingdom of God is going to continue to be built, now he does say if we don't talk, the rocks will cry out, right? But we know that we have a duty here, and that is to trust and to obey the Lord. And the kingdom of God is going to be built. The church of God is going to be built by our 
obedience and going. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look around. Did this last week, and you're looking for the next generation. Today, I want you to look around, and I want you to find an empty chair. A chair that could be occupied by someone you know who needs a relationship with Jesus. A chair that could be filled by a husband or a father who their greatest need is a relationship with God. Every chair represents someone that is either unchurched, that means they've never been, de-churched, maybe they came before COVID and they're not here no more, or just far from God, meaning they absolutely have no relationship with him. And what we're going to challenge you to do over this next semester is each one reach one. We're going to challenge you. This is our objective, and I'm going to be really clear about it. Our objective through each one reach one is to mobilize every single member on mission. But let me say it this way, church family. Not because of something we want from you. It's not. It's not because of what God wants from you. It's because of what we and what God wants for you. That is to obey him, to faithfully follow him, and to even when it's scary, even when you don't have the strength, you're willing to put yourself on the edge and say, Spirit of God, push me out. I need you to take over this moment. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I know this is super traditional of us, but we're going to close our eyes and bow our heads. Our prayer team is going to come up front real quick. Our prayer team is going to come all the way up front. Listen, if you are here, in this room today as we begin this idea of thinking through each one reach one some of you you've already identified someone that's far from God the Lord has already spoken extremely specifically about who it is you need to begin praying for investing in inviting so that you can see and hope to see them come to know Jesus Christ our prayer team wants to join in praying with you for that particular person so some of you it's a dad it's a mom, it's a child, it's a best friend, it's a close neighbor or a close coworker. And God has made it clear that he wants you to be the one that starts to pray for them from this day forward until they place their faith and trust in Jesus. And there are some people in this room who have been praying for their parents, praying for their children for years and they haven't given up. I was one who prayed for six to seven years of my life to see my dad come to know Jesus. And I'm telling you, it was well worth the wait. And for some of you, hopefully that will offer you some hope. Don't quit. Keep praying. Keep being persistent in your prayer life. Don't give up on God. He is going to continue to do his work, and he's going to do it his way. And trust that he'll work in the lives of those people. For others of you, right now, if you're honest, you don't know yet who you need to invest your life in. You don't know yet who God wants you to begin praying for in hopes that they might come into a relationship with Jesus. What we're going to ask you to do is to begin asking God to intersect your life with someone who needs him most. Who is it, God, that's in my life that needs a relationship with you? Would you make it clear to me? And what happens is tomorrow you might see him at the gas station. This week you might run into him at the grocery store. And before you know it, the Spirit of God is waving his hands in your face saying, that's the one, that's the one. I want you praying for them. I want you to share with them. I want to do my work both in you and through you by seeing them come to know me. Our role 
is to love and obey the king. Our role is to put our yes on the table and faithfully follow him. So our prayer team, guys, you are not rookies at this. Go ahead, come, stand up front. Like, come on, where y'all at? Let's go. Yeah, prayer team's up front. Guys, as soon as the music begins to play, we want to pray specifically for you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God and the gospel is made clear at the beginning of this message and you've recognized, oh, so it was my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. It was my sin that caused Jesus to die. If I put my faith and my trust in him, I can be restored into proper fellowship with God. Maybe today that's all you need is, man, you know what? I need to embrace that gospel and to participate now in the mission that I'm a part of. If that's you, the prayer team's available for you. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet. We're gonna sing together and you move as the spirit leads. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily. 